You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. So this week we went to the Grand Canyon. We did it. On Bernie's one day off this month. Half a day off. <laughs> <laughs> it's cool. Mm-hmm. It was so very crazy. majestic. Yeah. It's crazy. It's, there's nothing like that on the East Coast. Not at all. It's, nothing I've ever seen looks like that. Yeah. So it was awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like I definitely want to go back and walk it all. Yeah. I know you don't really probably want to walk 14 miles, but... <laughs> I would like to walk... A chunk of it, and then leave you be and take a nap. <laughs> but you can make, like, a day out of it so we can, like, stop and have yeah. lunch, and then they can just drive us back at the end because they have shuttles because they know people are going to do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Lord knows I'm a weak baby who's here for a shuttle. <laughs> but, yeah, it was really pretty, and it was nice chilling by that cute little pool. You know what we never looked up, though? What? Hey Siri, how many people die in the Grand Canyon? <laughs> we should talk about that. <laughs> Falling is not the most common death in oh, the Grand Canyon. That doesn't make me feel better. What is the most common death in the Grand Canyon? Murder? My guess is dehydration. Oh. Yep. Oh, it's the first one. Heat or dehydration. I like how you're excited about that, and I went straight to murder. Uh, I mean, it could be murder. We just don't know. I assume if people are murdering people, they're probably just pushing them off, which you'll never know if that's a murder or not. How are you dehydrating? Drink fucking water. I assume this is people who get lost. Oh, okay. And See, then, I'm going to make sure we just stay on the trail. Well, yeah, we're not the idiots. The fucking trail mm-hmm. where every, like, half a mile there's, like, a, a sign. Stop. I would like a sign. <laughs> Many signs so I know that I'm on the right place. I'm not here to go out into, like, fucking nature and get lost and get eaten by a fucking Wendigo. So, yes. <laughs> not what I'm here for. So, in 2015, 55 people who had accidentally fallen from the rim of the canyon, and 39 of them were... Taking selfies. Male! Oh. <laughs> Morons probably trying to... Yeah. A lot of them, eight of those guys were hopping from one rock to another Shocking. to pose for pictures. Shocking. Including a 38-year-old father from Texas pretending to fall to scare his daughter, who then really did fall 400 feet to his death. You fucking morons. Ooh, and you know what you've done? You've also definitely really scared your daughter, too. <laughs> you've definitely Missions scared your daughter. accomplished. Well... Luckily, I have a severe fear of heights, so we won't have that issue because I'm <laughs> Every not time get Martha and I walked by like a weird little like crevice in the, the earth, we both took like 10 fucking steps <laughs> the other direction. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, you know, what if I like somehow trip very, very much to one side and also like fling my body? I still want to make sure that I don't fall down the thing. Even if I somehow can trip and do this thing, which if anyone can do it, I feel like it's an accomplishment I could manage. All right. So anyways, episode 19. Episode 19. Holy shit. Yeah. We'll have to do something special next week. Get a snacky thing. Snacky thing. Maybe we can get 
Especially booze. Yeah. A fancy booze. And by fancy booze, we usually just mean a bottle of champagne. Oh, champagne. Well, we can splurge for the oxy. fancy for us. That's very fancy. (laughs) It's very fancy for Mm us. You know, splurging on that $12 bottle of Osti. <laughs> getting that money and putting <laughs> it somewhere. Big fucking deal. <laughs> See, so good. What do you want from me? <laughs> <laughs> to spend $4 more than you usually do. Right? I'm like, don't. No. Oh. Okay. Uh, okay. So, yeah. But right now we're in episode 19. Mm-hmm. I'm Brittany Petrina. I'm Martha Bartlett. And this is But, but First, Let's, Let's Talk, Talk Nerdy. Nerdy. Yeah. Click. I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready, guys. I don't know. I've worked a lot. Yeah. I took a nap, but I still work a lot. Mm -hmm. I didn't do any, I didn't even pick my topic until this morning. My topic today. All right. Is Mm -hmm. Heathers. Oh. (laughs) Heathers, the movie? The movie. Cool. All right. So my sources, fandom, Wikipedia, um, I read an article called An Amplified View on Angst and the American Teenager, Heathers, oh, by Jamie Champagne, and 23 Things You Might Not Know About the Heathers by a Roger Comier, and then, of course, the Heathers movie. Of course. <laughs> All right. First and foremost, if you have not seen Heathers, pause this podcast. Spoilers. And go watch it. It's streaming on Hulu. If you don't have Hulu, there's a seven-day free trial. So get your seven-day free trial and watch the damn movie because it's totally worth it. And if you don't know other than anything, the fact that it's a 1989 teen movie, which is all I knew, (laughs) and I'm obsessed, so go now and watch it. So after that disclaimer, let's get going. I'm a little ashamed that I only just watched The Heathers, and actually what got me first interested was the musical episode in season three of Riverdale was based on The Heathers, and being a big musical person, I decided to listen to it a little bit, and I also mentioned it to you, my lovely co-host, Martha Bartlett over here, and she simply just said, it's great, it's a classic, great teen movie, that's what she said to me, it's a real great teen movie, and it's also at the point where we were going down that hole of classic teen movies, so we were watching things like, after I watched Not Another Teen Movie, we ended up watching like Mean Girls and 10 Things I Hate About You, She's All That, Clueless, all of those classic teen same movies thing. same fucking thing <laughs> so i'm thinking great it goes right into the mood of movie that we've been watching i mean but <laughs> i was very wrong i was just including your true crimes yeah I, but it's I'm wrong in the best possible way so i was listening to the musical soundtrack for the first time not the riverdale version and uh, which obviously is extremely edited because Riverdale is just on the CW. Um, and I realized that it's not just another teen movie and <laughs> I'm not really fucking sure what's going on, but fucking something is going on in this music right now. <laughs> so I went and like watched the musical and I was like, holy shit. Okay, Martha, <laughs> we need to watch this right now. Cause I, w- I literally like walked into her room and was like, um, <laughs> yes. So about that, oh, it's a great teen movie. It's a classic. Am I wrong? <laughs> All of those things are true. 
just, you know, twisted. Just, just leaving out words. Super fucking twisted. Yeah. Uh, if you squint really hard, I'm 100% right. <laughs> so, it is a teen movie. And this is everything that I basically love. It's a teen movie. It's um, a nice true crime junkie lover parts to it. Mm -hmm. And there are color schemes everywhere. And I love a good color scheme. (laughs) I love a good color scheme. Also, it's Winona Ryder and uh, Christian Slater and his damn fucking eyebrows. Yeah, uh, and this is like I think I mentioned his eyebrows about eighteen times. Fucking cute this time. Not his eyebrows, just both of them. She's actually only sixteen. I was gonna say she's an actual factual baby, and he's more of a baby than he usually is. Yes, a lot of them are actually pretty young. They actually got like Shannon Doherty was only seventeen, like. And then I, while I was I reading um, some of the fun facts about it, mm-hmm. I think the reason why they start casting older now is just because it's a pain in the ass to get, because you have to have parents sign off and yeah. they had a bunch of people not be able to do the roles because they were underage and their parents a lot wouldn't of sign rights. off on it. There's only a certain yeah. amount of hours. So it's like, exactly. Time. So it's like, you know what? If you, you're supposed to be 16, but you're 20, I don't even fucking care yeah. because it's so much easier working mm-hmm. with an adult than it is an actual child. And also, you know that that, that means that a child is probably getting an actual yeah. fucking life. Well, I was going to say, and um, one of the things that I also read was like, Shannon Doherty was actually still going to school so she would like leave school do scenes and then go back to school like exhausting yes also quick sidebar to back at the fact that I'd never seen the Heathers I was born in 1989 so this movie came out before I was born and for all the movies that my sisters forced me to watch that were not child friendly, such as Scream and Poltergeist, Yate, My Irrational Fear of Clowns, Chucky, all of those goons, they didn't have me watch Heathers. So I was just never exposed to it because my family was like, watch Scream. Watch no. Poltergeist. The clown's not on the screen. The clown was on the fucking screen, sisters. All right, so before I get into the nitty-gritty of the Heathers, or Heathers, I always say the Heathers, but it's just Heathers, Mm -hmm. I want to mention that movies that came out before it, to place just how much of a game-changer this movie was, Pretty in Pink came out in 1986, Brooks Club came out in 1985, Dirty Dancing was 1987, Ferris Bueller's Day Off was 1986, and then Footloose was in 1984, so those were just some of the... There was a whole bunch that came out, but there's a small handful of what led up to the 1989 release of Heathers. Heathers was released March 31st, 1989. It's an American black comedy teen film written by Daniel Waters and directed by Michael Lehman. Stars Winona Ryder, Christian Slater, Shannon Doherty, Lisa Falk, Kim Walker, and Penelope Milford. Waters intended for Heathers to contrast more optimistic teen movies of the era, particularly those written by John Hughes, who wrote ones that I mentioned before, Pretty in Pink and uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, as well as others. Also, fun fact, John Hughes wrote Christmas Vacations, National Lampoon. Oh, shit. Yeah. My favorite is Christmas movie. (laughs) And it was by presenting a realistic depiction of high school imbued with a dark satire. 
Heather's is dark, funny, and has some great quotable lines. (laughs) Right? Despite positive reviews for the screenplay and the performance of Ryder and Slater, it flopped in the box office. But thanks to the VHS, Slater became so popular and it became a cult film. In 2015, it was actually ranked number five on the entertainment list of the 50 best high school movies, and it was ranked 412 on Empire's list of the 500 greatest movies of all time. Oh, damn. Okay. And since then, Heather's has been adapted (coughs) into a musical and a television series. Though the show, which I do want to watch, was unfortunately dropped because of the too often occurrence of school shootings here in the U.S., it, yeah, it was supposed to be released like two weeks after one of the school shootings. It was released in other countries because they had already like sold the rights to it. Yeah. And then it did eventually get released a little while later in the U.S., but it ended up being like a lot of things were cropped out of it because of everything that was going on. Mm-hmm. And the second season. We're going to cut a bunch of things that are actually happening yes. out. Because and then the second season, which had already had a complete script, ended up being dropped. One day, America might be able to have nice things. But until then, it's going to cry myself to sleep every night. It's Aww. fine. It's fine. So quickly, quickly <laughs> go through the plot of what happens in the movie. <laughs> so when the movie opens up, we're introduced to some of the typical characters that you always see in teen movies. The Heathers are three of the most popular girls in school, all named Heather. Each wear a similar outfit, but in different colors. They make a joke about this in Recess. Do they? I can't remember what those girls are all named. That's funny. Yeah. Did you watch Recess? Not really. That was one that I didn't actually yeah. really watch. It was okay. I think it was Ashley. There were the Ashleys. The Ashleys. And then the girl with the hat, Spinelli, her actual name was Ashley. And they were like, you have to join us. And she was like, nah. <laughs> That's the end. Good story, Martha. It was so good, Martha. <laughs> so there's... The, the Heathers, I guess they're technically four, but th- the three most popular girls in school all named Heather, mm-hmm. each wearing that similar outfit in different colors. Heather Chandler, always in red, um, with her giant red scrunchie, who is the queen bee of the Heathers mm-hmm. and of the school. Heather Duke, always in green, wants to be the queen bee. And then Heather McNamara, who was seen in yellow and probably the sweetest one out of all three. Mm-hmm. Um, and she never seems to like any of the other no. Heathers, but she's just sort of there to... They were like, you're pretty and your, and your name Heather. is Heather. And you're quiet and not causing problems. Mm-hmm. And we can push you around. Yeah, basically. And What's then, your favorite color? It can't be these two colors. <laughs> Whatever. She picked the best color. <laughs> then there's their honorary member and our main protagonist, Veronica. She's often seen in blues or in blacks. You can tell from the beginning that she doesn't really fit in with the other Heathers, or she seems like uh, she actually cares about people. Mm-hmm. But it's high school, and it's easier to pretend to be friends with the popular kids rather than letting your life be four years of living hell. Especially since Veronica is very – she understands the fact that it's like, I'm just going to get through these four years of high school, and then I'm going to be done, and it's going to mean absolutely nothing in the end. Exactly. She does stray from them a little bit when she meets the new boy in school. He's wearing a long black trench coat, and he pulls a gun on the popular jock kids the very first time we're introduced to him. Red flag! (laughs) Right off the bat, but it's fine. It's a huge red flag. It's a huge red flag! also, if I was, like, 15, 16, 16, and hated everyone else, 
And it was pre-everyone getting shot all the time, <laughs> which this was. I'd probably think it was pretty cool. <laughs> and um, then I'd be like, it's real? Oh, no. Oh, no. no. Yep. <laughs> so we come to find out his name is JD, and our protagonist is smitten. But I mean, who wouldn't be with that bone structure and those eyebrows? Those eyebrows. Look <laughs> like a little ski lift. <laughs> I hate you. Oh, Okay. All the characters go through very typical high school things to start the movie off. The typical bullying of the lesser classmates. I put lesser in parentheses. Just so everybody knows. <laughs> in quotations. I don't actually the, think they're, I don't lesser, think they're actually lesser. It's okay. Hold on. I'm um, going chill. So the typical bullying of the lesser characters and even of their friends. Heather Duke is blatantly shown to have an eating disorder. Mm. The two main jocks of the school are complete D-bags. Veronica and Heather C. end up going to a college party where there's sex and drinking all over the place. Sex is also a key point throughout the whole movie. So, Mm -hmm. you know, typical teenage stuff. Some of them a little more intense than your typical teenage movie, but... At this point, we're led to believe Veronica is a good girl just trying to make it through her high school years because she knows what happens here really doesn't matter. She meets a boy, though he seems a little eccentric, is the love interest. And by the end, you assume that the Heathers will get what's coming for them, learn a lesson. Everyone, popular and unpopular, become friends. And Veronica and Heather will have a... uh, Oh, I wrote Veronica and Heather. Veronica and JD. I would much rather Veronica and Heather have a relationship that lasts through the years. (laughs) Which one, though? The question. I don't know any of them because I didn't mean to write Heather, mm-hmm. so you can say any of them. But Veronica and JD will Sweet have a Heather, <laughs> will have a relationship that manages to survive real life. Mm-hmm. And man, are we in for a rude awakening if you don't know what to expect? It's a sharp turn. Me. Yeah, you. Me. <laughs> I wasn't ready. <laughs> Is this really fun high school movie? <laughs> Fuck you. You led me. You set me up for this. I did. I did. I didn't even do it intentionally, which is the best part. Just naturally a bitch. (laughs) Veronica and Heather end up going Heather C. Chandler. Chandler, which is the one who wears red. Yes. She's the leader right She is the leader. She is the queen bee. Go to this college party, and this is where things start to turn from that typical teen movie into non-typical, even though we're not 100% sure yet. We don't really know, but this is when things start to go downhill. Veronica isn't down for having sex with some random nerd college boy, and Heather C. is pissed about it, basically tells Veronica that she can ruin her, and that um, Veronica's making her look bad after getting into her into this super cool college party. Veronica's like, I'm not having sex with this random boy. Fuck you. And then ends up puking all over her. Lick it up, bitch. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, so, good guess. Heather's not super happy about this and basically tells her to pack up her life and fucking move because she's a dead girl when it, she comes to school on Monday. Well, you know, since Veronica is only 16 or 17, she only needs one puke to feel better. And then she ends up at JD's house and then end up doing it. Back in the day when you could just puke once after drinking all night and you were fine. That was it. That was it. You were just good. Now I just puke for hours and then still can't do anything. And I'm like, what if I have a hangover for the rest of my life? Is this some? Is this? A- I finally got to eat a piece of toast. It's 5 p.m. Oh, no. 
my body doesn't just randomly metabolize everything that I put into it. So I actually have to not be a fucking idiot all the time, which is cool and great. It's exactly how I wanted to live my life. Uh, 29. Every all, If any youngsters listen to this, watch out. 29's the age. <laughs> All right. I don't remember when the age was for me. I think it was before 29. I just always think back to I remember Island. <laughs> oh, no. You remember mine? Yeah, because I was very drunk. Yeah. It was my birthday. If it's the one time you're allowed to get that Absolutely. fucking slammered, it was no, my birthday. That... You're fucking Rhode Island. <laughs> not Rhode Island, Connecticut. Okay. If we can find that Heartburn. picture. We're at... <laughs> Post it. We'll absolutely post it. Yeah. So, I had a bad a bad time. Yeah. I drank too much because they weren't allowing you to bring any yeah, drinks so Martha, in. Chug. water. So yeah. I just drank and as much so as I possibly And it was so hot in there, too. Yeah. And you couldn't bring water, and you had to go buy a $5 bottle of water mm-hmm. if you wanted to drink water. Brittany had to rescue me in a big fucking Yeah. Way. And I was yeah. wearing the tallest shoes. And telling everyone she was drunk. So drunk. <laughs> Until I yelled at her and I was like, you have to stop saying like, that. Oh, you're right. And shout out to listener Maureen and Gary for helping me bring her back home because I was lost and I couldn't really? fucking find shout the hotel. Shout out to listener Gary and Maureen for saving me. Oh, fuck. Okay. So, so next morning, Veronica decides the best thing she can do is go to Heather C's and to basically grovel and get for Heather's forgiveness. So she heads to Heather's house and JD accompanies her. <laughs> Sorry, I just remembered how this scene goes. (laughs) And Heather's there and hungover, so she orders Veronica to go make her some hangover cure drink. So, while they're in the kitchen, J.D. grabs some liquid Drano shit or whatever. And it's very blue, and he jokes that they should give it to Heather, and boom, problem will be solved. (laughs) (laughs) Also, I can't say anything, because that's a thousand percent the type of joke I make regularly. Yep. And basically, it was like she'd be getting what's coming to her anyways. Yep, a little bit of karma. So he even goes as far as pouring it into a mug. And Veronica laughs about it, but just continues making her care. And is like, no, we're not. And when she makes it, she makes a comment like, she's not dumb enough to drink something that blue. So they end up basically mm-hmm. making out in the kitchen. And because they're high schoolers. Because they're high schoolers they and they just had sex. Cue <laughs> uh, that I just had sex fucking <laughs> video but <laughs> what's his real name I keep thinking Jake Peralta and that's a character Andy Samberg <laughs> yeah she while they're making out she just grabs one of the mugs because she put her mug down next to the mug that had the mm-hmm. Drano in it she grabs the mug and she goes to walk off into Heather's room and JD looks down at the mugs that's left, calls Veronica's name, and when she's like, what is it? He goes, never mind, and just follows her into Heather's room. So everything seems normal at this point, right? Yeah, no. Heather chugs a drink, and a few seconds later, she drops the mug. Her mouth is blue. Note the symbolism, because Veronica wears blue here. And falls over dead through her glass coffee table in her room and everything. It's dramatic. Mm-hmm. Veronica had accidentally grabbed the wrong mug and gave it to Heather. 
So at this point, Veronica doesn't realize that JD knew, but us, the movie viewers, just saw that he had a chance to stop her and didn't. So instead of calling the cops, like they should do, Mm -hmm. JD suggests that they make it look like a suicide, and Veronica is like, okay, since it was an accident, I didn't mean to actually kill her, you didn't mean to actually kill her, I guess we'll do that. Clearly, that's the only logical explanation. It's the only thing to do. Only thing. Fake a suicide. <laughs> so I solve all of my problems, actually. <laughs> they write a suicide note, and then they scramble out of there. And that's just what everyone believes. It works. I like to say it's a weird, small Ohio town, so that's the reason why the cops didn't notice anything was wrong. But it's hmm. another podcast for another day. Yep. We finally hit two of the main points that they do want to talk address in this movie about teenage problems, murder, and suicide. Hmm. Uh, both very extreme actions that many teenagers see as the only possible solution and the problems they face. Even though it's just high school, it's very real for these teenagers, and it seems like the only real solution for some of them. With Heather's suicide quotations Mm -hmm. it basically ends up becoming sensationalized but even when they're at the funeral every time someone goes up to pray at her casket they like should give their thoughts you can hear it (laughs) and most of them are either kind of like karma bitch or just completely thinking about something Mm -hmm. else mostly pretty irreverent yes I love that scene so fucking much. <laughs> Honestly, as a viewer, even though we may not have wanted her to die, we did want her to get some karma, so we can't even really be mad at Veronica or JD at this point. Even though we know at this point something will. I mean, you knew something was weird at J- with JD at the very first point that he pulled out a gun! It's like, what? But I just brought a gun to, to school. No big deal. First day, I'm pulling a gun on some jocks. You can tell Veronica does feel a bit guilty, though, because she does see Heather in her mind a few times throughout the rest of the movie. The movie does introduce us to J.D.'s father and a bit of his past. J.D. is the son of Bud Dean, which is what the D stands for in J.D. Ah. <laughs> Dean. Um, Do we ever figure out what the J stands He does have a name. Um, Jingle. <laughs> I am old Chris Kringle. I'm a king of jingling. There's literally no way it could be anything better than jingle. Um, I think it's Jason. Jingle Dean. His parents didn't hate him that much. <laughs> Jason um, Dean. Okay. I think it's Jason. Yeah. Um, okay, so. It's jingle in my heart. <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> All right. Bud Dean is the owner of a demolition company known as Big Bud Dean Construction. (laughs) JD has moved seven times before. He's been around. Been in Vegas. Oh, hi. Oh, hi. hi. But now he's in some random place in Ohio. Some dumb suburb in Ohio. Um, JD's relationship with his father was severely affected and strained by the suicide of his mother, who knowingly walked into a building that Bud Dean had prior rigged with explosives. And it appears that his life and mental state were a lot more balanced prior to his mother's death. And then he never got the help that he needed after his mother committed suicide in front of him. They even talk about in the movie that she was literally like, hey, I'll be right back. She mm-hmm. walked like into the building, like waved to him from the window and, and then, then it exploded. Yeah. 
So it's pretty definitely brutal. fucked him up. Yeah. You're an awful mom you for doing that. But he help. needed some big fucking help mm-hmm. and his dad just ignored it and moved them around to a bunch of different places. And they do this weird thing where they like talk to as each other. It's weird. It's weird. They have a weird relationship. Yeah. I'm like, no wonder why you're a fucking sociopath. Ah, this is why everything doesn't work. So the next important thing that happens in the movie Ram asks Heather McNamara out on a double date, and Heather asks Veronica to go since Kurt doesn't have a date. Ram. I know. These are the jock boys. Yep, of course. Who yeah. else could they Ram possibly be? His name is fucking Ram. I wonder what Ram stands for. Rapid eye moment. Movement. <laughs> moment. Moment. <laughs> I ruined my joke. <laughs> Immediately. <laughs> boys get drunk. <laughs> they go to a pasture, and since they're in bumfuck Ohio, they decide to tip some cows over. Fuck you. They do tip a cow over. There's mud all over the place. The girls are pissed, but whatever. Poor um, cows. <laughs> cows yes. are mean. Fuck cows. They're not as mean as these dumb boys. Yeah, true. Cows are mean. Tip over these dumb boys. That would be then, actually way fun. <laughs> if that was the thing that I could do on dates, I would. <laughs> tip boys over. Tip over dumb boys. Absolutely. That would be the best. <laughs> so, uh, like I said, they're drunk. Kurt asks Veronica for sex. She's like, fuck you. No. No. Ram is uh, on top of Heather, pinning her down. We see her try to, like, fight back. And then Kurt ends up falling flat on his face, unconscious, because he's too fucking drunk. JD ends up showing up. We don't know how long he's been there, but he's there. It's probably been a while. <laughs> He's probably been there the whole time. Mm-hmm. They talk by a tree, but they talk by the tree for a bit, and then they leave and go get a slushy. Problem with this scene, and probably another point that this movie is trying to make, when they leave, Ram is still assaulting Heather. Yeah. McNamara, the it's yellow just, one. Yeah. So that's cool, slash not cool. Not cool at all. Not cool. Yeah. You're not the fucking hero. So like, do a he's, thing about he's assaulting her. He's date raping her. Yeah. And it, I guess it was just more acceptable back then. And JD and Veronica literally just fucking leave. So that's cool. It's almost like saying that they're doing this like, oh, we're rebelling against high school. But they're not rebelling against high school. They're just doing something to be special. Not yeah. because they actually have any problems with the way things are, but because they're bored. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's not like we're going to fix things because they're not. No. All right. So Kurt is embarrassed. He needs a douchebag. Mm. So what happens when a douchebag is embarrassed? Oh. Kurt Ram decides to spread a rumor about having a threesome with Veronica during the state. I just feel like that's not the way that you want to go with that. But that's fine. So Veronica denies it. Uh, if I was Veronica, I would be like, yes, we did. And also. they had very small penises. I was going to say. And they didn't get me off. They had very small penises and they kept touching each other with it. They, they were actually they were like more about themselves. each other's yeah. penises to each other. And I was like. I actually kind of left halfway through and they didn't even notice. Yeah. It would have been so easy. She's 16. Yeah, no. And probably not. Or 17. Whatever. Ready to like ruin everybody yeah. else's life. She didn't think that quick on her feet. Mm, it doesn't happen that Sex quickly. is new and scary. That's fair. She denies it and she's pissed, but with some nudging from JD, she decides to get revenge and JD makes a plan. He decides 
to stage Kurt and Ram's suicide. He mentions Veronica to forge a fake suicide note, explaining that they're gay. Probably another theme um, for struggling high school students. Mm. And they collect a bunch of gay paraphernalia to stage the scene. God. Yeah, right? So the gay paraphernalia, of course, is low. Like, it's gay paraphernalia for people in the Midwest. And in the 80s. And in the 80s. Oh, God. Yeah. JD tells Veronica that he has these bullets that I think he said he got from his like grandfather from the world world from the oh, war called each Luge, which I could be fucking whatever murdering that. That sounds fine. And these bullets would only stun Kurt and Ram, but not kill them. And she believes them. So Veronica calls Kurt. Inviting uh, Kurt and Ram to meet her for an actual threesome. I feel like you could just call them Cram. I mean, that's fair. Is it Kurt with a K? Yes. I knew it. Or they can just be rat. Yeah, <laughs> they can just be rat. Mm-hmm. True. <laughs> so, <laughs> bum. <laughs> Everything's the worst. Sack. Bucky. I don't think they have a ship name, but I like Bob, and I like Suck, and I also like Sack. Or Sacky. Or Sucky. It's fine. It makes me laugh. All of these things are good. I'm okay. like, no, just Winter Falcon. We're professional. And I'm like, are you no. sure you're not bum? <laughs> you're, I'm pretty sure I'm you guys are bum. You, yeah. You can only, Winter Widow is the only thing we're going with that is semi-professional. Yeah, let's not pretend. <laughs> you get Stucky and you get Sack. <laughs> Or Bob. Or Bob. <laughs> All right. Little did Veronica know that each Luge actually means I'm lying in German and that these bullets were real bullets. I didn't know that. Neither did I. Isn't that a cool fact? Yeah. What a fucking goon. What a bitch. Ugh. JD, you suck. Yeah. So Veronica meets Kurt and Ram in the woods behind the school and has them stripped to their underwear. Then she has them count to three. So when they count to three, she's like, okay, then you can take my clothes off. But when they get to three, JD jumps out and shoots Ram in the neck, killing him instantly. Uh, thinking it's still all just a joke, Veronica shoots at Kurt, but she misses him. Kurt runs off and JD chases him. Ends up doing like a loop back around and to where Veronica is now sitting at Ram's body, basically in a panic because she's like, oh, fucking shit. He's actually dead. And in her panic, she ends up lifting her gun and shooting Ram square in the chest and killing him. So they leave this the suicide note and they run once again because of some shoddy police work. Everybody believes that the suicide 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 pack was made by lovers because when committing suicide, it is often normal to shoot yourself in the neck and in the chest. Mm-hmm. Normal things. I always shoot myself in the neck. If I was gonna commit suicide, I definitely shoot myself in the chest. So like, I I love the idea of my blood going into my lungs. <laughs> it's a bad time. Everything's just bad. Like this is a bad idea. Oh, don't, I don't know. So at this point, um, suicide has basically become a trend in the school. And Heather Duke, 
She was the green one that wanted to be Queen Bee, and she ends up taking Heather C's red scrunchie and ended up basically taking her place. Now, there's a character who I haven't brought up, Martha Dunstock. Hi, my name's Martha also. <laughs> um, she is rel- relentlessly bu- bullied throughout the movie, and they actually call her Martha Dump Truck. She sees all the suicides occurring and decides that she's going to try it herself, since everyone who's committed suicide at this point was considered popular. Mm-hmm. Martha ends up just being injured, and she doesn't die, and she ends up getting made fun of for it. Heather D. says her suicide attempt was just another case of a loser trying to imitate a popular kid. Ew. So, what up? suicide. This girl tried to commit suicide, and you're like, you're not cool enough to commit suicide. Like, okay. Um, no. What? Jesus. Yep. And then also, at a point, Heather M., who is the yellow one, Mm -hmm. calls into the popular radio show known as Hot Probs. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) It was a good face, too. Your your Hot Probs face is really solid. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> she tells the host that her name is Heather, but then uh, retracts and says her name is Madonna, but then just ends up settling on Tweety. <laughs> um, she explains her depression, how she, how the last boy that she had sex with committed suicide, mm. slash raped her. Yeah. She's failing math, and she didn't make it as cheerleading captain, and her parents were divorced. Veronica and Heather, Duke, the green one. Mm-hmm. Overheard the show, which then prompts Heather D to bully Heather M the next day at school. Heather M ends up running out of the classroom and to the bathroom where she also attempts to commit suicide by overdosing on prescription pills. Veronica is like, this isn't fucking cool and runs after her and stops her in the bathroom. They have a brief talk, and then they decide to skip school and basically go shopping. And this is where you see, like, they have, like, an actual friendship forming Mm because Heather M is not like the other Heathers. She's just another girl named Heather who was pretty who got pulled into it. Yeah, who just got pulled into it. That sucks, dude. Yep. So after all this My name is actually Pleather. (laughs) (laughs) My name was almost Heather. Did you know that? I didn't. If my parents that was the second name they were floating about. I could have seen you as a Heather. If they didn't name me Brittany, they would have named me Heather. Trying to remember, I would have been insufferable if I was a Heather oh, after seeing this movie. Fucking lutely. Um, <laughs> the the names that my dad wanted to pick for me were fucking terrible, and we'll leave this in so that he knows. Um, <laughs> one of them was Axel. For if I was a boy. Aren't you so glad you weren't a boy? Yeah. Well, I'm so glad that my mom was like, you don't get to make a choice because this is bad. Yeah. Dibby for the win. And then Nell, if I was a girl. Not oh. Nelly, but like fucking Dudley Do-Right. I'll save you, Nell. I'm like, are you serious? Come on. It's okay. My parents picked the two po- most popular names of 1989 and then one with the most popular one. <laughs> Fair enough. So after all this, Veronica realizes that JD is a sociopath. Mm. And I'm pretty sure he's a sociopath, not a psychopath. Because he doesn't plan, really plan things. He like sort of plans things, but he doesn't really plan things. He's much more hot-headed. And I feel like he kind of has empathy 
like a tiny, tiny bit for like Veronica. It's only for certain. Yes. Yeah. So it's that's more sociopath than psychopath. And he's very hot headed and doesn't plan shit. True. Or like half plans things. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, that didn't work out. Let's try it this way. So if this doesn't work, we'll figure it out when we get yeah. there. So she's like, oh, you're fucking crazy now that you've murdered three people. Mm-hmm. And it took me a little it while. It took me a little while. There's a bunch of red flags, but it's fine. I'm 16 or 17 and I was smitten and mm-hmm. I was okay with you murdering people. The first one I didn't know until now. Now I'm pretty sure he fucking knew. But anyways, like a true sociopath. He won't leave her be. JD continues to try to lure Veronica back to him, but she ultimately resists him. Shortly following the breakup, JD breaks into Veronica's room intending to kill her, but she was fooled into thinking that she was dead after witnessing her suicide. So she staged a suicide. Her- there were air quotes there. Yes. I know you guys didn't see it, but I did. <laughs> they were there. While there, JD reveals over Veronica's fake dead body. More air quotes. More air quotes. That he had fooled Heather D into getting everyone's signature in school. That he plans to blow up the entire school with all the students and staff in there during some pep rally. And that he's going to make it as one giant suicide. Suicide. (laughs) (laughs) Also, imagine, imagine that sort of thing fucking goes and works. And somebody gets this note and they're like, whoa. No one's going to think every person here was suicidal and they blew each other up. Or they were like, no one's that stupid. Yeah. Oh, that's true. There could be a cult. Yeah. I do love a good cult. I know you do. I love a good cult. I know you do. (laughs) (laughs) On the day of the bombing, Veronica successfully stopped JD from hurting anyone by shooting off his finger and then shooting him in the stomach. She thinks that he's dead, so she leaves him in the boiler room, goes outside. He isn't dead. Comes outside, follows her, dramatic, and then ends up, like, sacrificing himself and blowing himself up as opposed to blowing the school up. She's a little sad, but also, like, good fucking riddance. You're fucking crazy. And then she goes over to Heather D. She's looking like hell. She's covered in soot. She's smoking a cigarette. She Mm -hmm. takes a red scrunchie from her hair. Ties it in her own hair, and now that she now she is the queen bee, and she plans on making everything in the school right, despite the fact that she has been part of four student deaths, <laughs> and there's been two attempted suicides. <laughs> and I'm gonna fix all these things that I caused. I'm going to pretend I didn't do any of that. Sorry that there was a cute boy that I was distracted by. Did you see his eyebrows, though? They're something you could ski off of. (laughs) His fucking bone structure could cut fucking diamonds. That's actually probably true. (laughs) Have you tried? Christian Slater, listener Christian Slater, have you tried to cut diamonds with your bones? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, shit. Okay, so that's the gist of what happens in the movie. Mm. So as I mentioned earlier, the Heathers did not do well in their theatrical premiere, but once it hit VHS, it didn't take long for it to become a cult classic. And what is a cult classic exactly? A cult film or cult movie, also commonly referred to as a cult classic, is a film that has acquired a cult following. Cult films are known for their dedicated, passionate fan base, which forms an elaborate subculture that engage in repeated viewings, quoting dialogue, and audience participation. But in all fairness, great movie, so obviously repeated viewings, and such quotable 
full dialogue. Yes. <laughs> and audience participation. I want to wear clothes like that. <laughs> Minus the shoulder pads. Uh, and the giant hair. I don't mind I, the bad shoulder pad and I the giant hair every want, now and then. Well, you naturally have giant hair. That's true. I do a lot of work for giant hair mm-hmm. and I don't want to do it. Wait. So it's true. But those fucking yellow plaid shit that gets that clueless vibe, I am all mm-hmm. fucking about. Yeah. So, why did it take the VHS release for the movie's potential to be realized? few different reasons. Like you mentioned in a previous episode with Jennifer's mm-hmm. body, they didn't advertise it the right way or Ugh. towards the right crowd. So it ended up bombing in the theater. Once it uh, hit VHS, though, it was a lot easier to see and watch, you could just go to good old Blockbuster and rent it. So more people were like, okay, let's pick this up. Also, a lot of people didn't realize that this movie, probably because it was advertised wrong, was what it was. It looked like a typical teenage movie. Oh no, did they get my version of Probably. (laughs) One of the main reasons, other than the fact that it was rated R, if you look at the cover, it's literally just a cute picture of Winona and eyebrows, like, hugging her from behind. So... I almost died. That was like... My soul almost left my body. So, people were watching it, and then they were like, wait, what's happening? And then they were instantly intrigued and obsessed Mm -hmm. because it was nothing like they'd ever seen nor that they expected. Like, I will post a picture of the, like, cover for the VHS. He's just hugging her. I know. He's he's like, hey! And they look all cute. And I'm like, no! um, (laughs) That's not what's happening! (laughs) But you two caused a lot of murders. I don't know if you noticed... Also, this movie is one of the first teen movies to not just be sunshine and butterflies in the end. It wasn't just the jock in the geeky, unattractive, but actually super, uh, super pretty girl when you take her hair out of that ponytail and take off <laughs> her glasses. Yeah. That's just not a thing in this. No. And other than Heather M., none of the mean bullies get reformed in the end. Three of them are dead. Mm-hmm. And Heather D., the green one, ended up basically being nothing at the end for the best yes also the characters are really broad too there is someone in there they're a little to like the nth degree but there's someone in there that everyone can relate to and that you can place people as from your high school we all had those type of characters Mm -hmm. in our high school um hopefully just minus sociopath murderers but we all had the weird goth kid and i did have the sociopath murderer this is also one of the first teen movies that deal with almost everything that's wrong with our society and especially things that are going on in high school. Popularity, bullying, eating disorders, death, suicide, normalizing suicide, sexual assault, and probable date rape, acceptance of the sexual assault, murder, and then just doing things you aren't comfortable with so that you fit in. And something that happens far too often it wasn't a school shooting was there was a bomb attempt and we have so many school shootings that it's ridiculous Mm -hmm. here so even though it wasn't like a shooting it was uh, an attempt on a school where you're supposed to be safe though i'm hoping most of us got through high school without these extremes there is still a lot to relate to oh i also forgot to mention even though i mean well who knows the jocks could have been gay with each other that was also brought up um, Mm -hmm. homosexuality 
and the fact that they thought they killed themselves because of their homosexuality. Um, it gave them depth. And then you were like, yeah, oh, no. Yeah. Don't yeah. give them depth. No, they have no depth. No. No, there's no depth. Can't they just be regular day-killer murder victims? <laughs> Come on. There's a lot to relate to, and there's a lot to connect with. And um, it simply wasn't done before. But at the same time, it was mixed with mostly tasteful humor. <laughs> um, what a terrible fucking laugh. And, come on, Slater's bone structure and eyebrows. His bone... Nope, none of that. I was trying to say bonkers, and I was... Just, you said bone, and I got stuck. Bonkers. That's bone. what happens when you have... Bone structure and eyebrows that yes, are bonkers. Exactly. Bonkers. I hate it. And last, the most important piece is the fact that Veronica and JD are two opposite extremes of a situation in society. JD looks at the situation in society and sees no way out and that it's not worth it and no one deserves it. He wants to put an end to all of their misery and eradicate what he thinks is a virus on Earth. Blow it all up! Basically. Veronica, being in the same situation, sees this virus but is like, oh, we can figure out a way through this. Mm-hmm. And she does think it sucks and she probably hates mostly everyone, Mm -hmm. but she doesn't see the destruction side of it. She sees the hope that it can come from it and doesn't want to end it in death, murder, and suicide. Mm -hmm. This movie has led to so many movies that we cherish now. Without Heathers, there would be no Mean Girls. There would be no Clueless. There wouldn't even be movies like Juno that were able to find its way. True. That's fair. Yes. Juno is definitely like a fucking child. Yes. Heather's is a cult classic, not only because it's influenced so many movies today, but so many people can relate to what's going on in this movie, even if it takes a shocking twist. Everyone went to high school, everybody knew these kinds of people, and everybody has dealt with similar situations. Though it may not be to that extreme, it's what makes this still have a place in history 31 years later. Unless you were homeschooled, in yes. which case, sorry, there are no movies for you. <laughs> Screw you, you suck, don't yeah. be homeschooled. Sorry, we didn't want to watch a movie about one person. Yeah, but I read like a, a quote that was like, I think it was from like the, the writer, and he was like, I wrote it in high school and about high school situations because everybody goes to high school. Yeah. Unless you're homeschooled. Not everybody goes to college and everybody gets married. Not everybody has kids. No, Not everybody goes and gets a job. Relatable. Like, mostly everyone goes to high school and has the, had these semi-experiences. Like weird knows these archetypal people. Yeah. So you can relate to it. We, I just made it dark. Which, to be fair, high school is pretty it's dark. Fun. Yeah. It's fucked up. Mm-hmm. Alright, so to end this off, I have some fun facts about the movie. Yay! Okay, so Winona Ryder's agent basically begged her not to take this role, but she wanted it so much, two other people turned it down before Winona Winona got it, but she even, like, gave herself a makeover to, like, prove that she could be Veronica. And even at 16, she didn't take her um, agent's advice, ended up firing her later, and it Mm -hmm. actually one of her favorite roles that she's ever played. I can see that. Yes. Brad Pitt auditioned for JD. Oh my god. Right? That would have that would have been great too. <laughs> like I in a very it would have been a very different, different movie. movie. 
Shannon Doherty didn't realize it was actually supposed to be a comedy until after they finished filming it because the script itself is so fucking dark. And she, uh, her parents were around for a lot of it, so she was embarrassed by a lot of the swearing because she was brought up more like, Aww. yeah. Slater didn't actually think he was going to get the role, so he threw away the script. Not oh no. <laughs> But apparently he was basing a lot of his <laughs> acting off of fucking, um, I just had his name and now I can't, then Nicholson. Oh, Jack yep. Nicholson. A thousand yep. percent. Yeah. Similar weird eyebrow structure. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Heather C., who is the uh, Queen Bee, mm-hmm. uh, was supposed to be reading Catcher in the Rye, not Moby Dick, but they never got the rights. Oh, shit. So they had to change it. Oh, Catcher in the Rye would have been perfect because yeah. there's so much like weird yep, so that's fucking yeah. nonsense. So that's about what it. she was supposed uh, to be reading originally. Um, the original script was actually much darker. JD was supposed to actually have been successful in blowing up the school, and they were all supposed to have he- prom in heaven. <laughs> I don't feel like those two things go together. I don't know. Whatever, I guess. <laughs> And I then, feel like once you blow up the school, you probably don't get to go to heaven. Well, JD wouldn't be there, but all the students that were blown up couldn't go to prom, and they were having a prom heaven. Oh, heaven prom. Mind. I got confused. I'm sure. I just assumed everyone was there because there's a lot of fucking shitty people it, there. I mean, they all true. don't deserve to go to any sort of like a, I don't know. And then last one, not really a fun fact. Kind of a sad fact, but More a fact nonetheless. So one of the most famous lines in the film by Kim Walker, who is Heather Chandler, the red one, at Shannon Doherty, is Heather Duke, the green one. Mm-hmm. Did you have a brain tumor for breakfast? Tragically, Walker passed away 12 years later at the age of 32 from a brain tumor. Oh, no. Yeah. So That is such a, a good bummer. line, though. It is a good line, though. There's so many good lines. It's, uh, it's all good lines. Yeah. All right. And that is Heather's mm-hmm. and how it became... Uncle Classic. And how I wasn't ready for it. Oh my god. Yeah, no, that's my fault. Martha set me up. <laughs> and uh, let's say I set you up poorly. <laughs> I'm thinking I'm gonna watch this cute fucking movie and then I'm listening to the musical oh. and I'm like, are people dying? <laughs> Something's not right. Something is wrong. I like got through the Heather death. And I was like, okay, that's weird, but that's fine. And then I got to the two jocks dying, but it was only like, sort of, because I'm only listening to the music, none of the words. So I'm like, what the fuck is happening? I wasn't ready. Oh, no. Yep. Don't let me prepare you for shit. It was Sean and the podcast about mankind. The Soulforge podcast was a dream-given form. Its goal? To prevent fear by creating a place where humans and aliens could work out their differences peacefully. It's a pod for all, with topics including love, loss, sex, dating, and so much more. Humans and aliens wrapped in the ESO network all alone in the night. It can be a dangerous place, but it's our last best hope for peace. The year is 2020. The name of the place, Soulforge Podcast.
All right. Everything so, is fine. Today, I am going to be talking about Magic Knight Rayar. Aww. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Specifically, I'm talking about the first, like, season and the first three books of the manga. I said those are the manga. only ones I read. I literally wrote manga in <laughs> It's going to be bad episode. It's fine. I'm going to not We're do it. We're going there again. Be, I, most of the time it just says it has it with an O because I keep fucking it up. So it's fine. Just doing the first part mostly because I didn't want to do the second part because I'm less familiar with it. And also the first part ended up being long enough that I was like, mm, this is enough. So Magic Knight Rare was a manga series from Clamp in the early 90s. Clamp, for those not in the know is an all-female Japanese uh, manga artist group that was formed in the mid-1980s. I actually didn't know that they were all women, but it's... I did know that. Because I really liked Clamp when I was younger. Mm -hmm. I liked a lot of things from Clamp. I guess I never did any real looking into it. I definitely... Showbits was one of my Mm -hmm. first manga I ever read. Clover. Yeah. I didn't know that they were all women, but I said, uh, you can kind of tell because they don't do the same shit that male writers do. Mm -hmm. They write all shoujos, too. Exactly. Anyhow, the the manga was adapted into an anime in 1994. Good old VHS times where you had to go to a creepy (laughs) anime store and hope that they had... The next one's when you got your allowance. Um, there's <laughs> and you would only have three episodes on it. Exactly. And it would be fucking expensive. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. And then you fucking like, kids now are so spoiled. I have 40 fucking VHSs. What am I going to do with yep. this in my life? Jesus Christ. Ugh. It was so hard to watch. That's why the only anime I really watched when I was younger was the shit that was on Toonami. Because mm-hmm. it was so expensive yeah. and hard to watch or everything. you get something like like the way that i watched fucking revolutionary girl utna was i watched it in fucking pieces yeah and it's very difficult to watch anyways when you watch yeah. it all the way i was like that with neon genesis i watched like two Jesus. random dvds and yeah neon genesis is so fucked up one of the first dvd mm-hmm. i got was one of some of the last episodes too which are all over the place yeah. anyways on to cuteness not fucked upness of Utna and Neon Genesis. Yes. More cuteness. So there's two uh, main chunks, the Magic Knight Ray Earth 1 and 2, and today we're talking about 1. So basically the first season, the second season, or first three books, second three books. I have 2 and 5 of the <laughs> manga because, of course. Of because, course. Yeah, you know. As we were talking about, everything was fucking expensive when we were kids. So it, you'd buy one, and your friend would buy yeah. another, and then you'd yeah, end up with yeah. this like dumb PC collection. We would always buy series. That makes much more so sense. So that way you would at least have a complete series, but you, you would each have one. So if you had three friends, you would actually get to read three series as opposed to... That's the way to do it. Yeah. Uh, oh, I didn't talk about my sources, did mm. I? So mostly just fandom and Wikipedia, but I also used an article that was Purity and Power in Magic Knight Rare, which was by literally the only name on there was Catherine. So okay. Bye, Catherine. Thanks, Catherine. So yeah, they're all visiting Tokyo Tower uh, coincidentally at the same time, which that is a quote uh, because it's probably not that much of a coincidence because I assume that Tokyo Tower is probably a big field trip location. Yes. Granted, I feel like a lot of animes have people go to Tokyo Tower. Yeah, exactly. It's normal. So, yeah. like, 
this was like, oh no, I can't believe that there's three schools there at the same time. Yeah, no. And it's I like, no, think... I feel like that's pretty normal, but whatever. It'd be like when you went to like fucking Plymouth Rock. There was definitely multiple schools. Oh my there. god. Yeah. And Plymouth Rock is not Tokyo Tower. No. Because Plymouth Rock is a fake rock that doesn't actually mean anything. That was always my fucking favorite thing to do at Plymouth Rock. To lean over and be like, hey, this isn't the rock that anybody landed on. Uh, It's not an important rock at all. It's literally just a fucking rock that they picked because it It was was convenient. So, cool. Enjoy your stay in Plymouth! Um, Why are you here? Go to the beach. Yeah. There's a thousand places you could go. Why don't you go to the Cranberry Place? Cranberry Bob. It's not. It's like a cranberry museum. Oh. There we are. It's like, what is the word I'm trying to say? So everyone is walking around Tokyo Tower. Tokyo? Tokyo Tower. I can't speak and I have had like a drink and a half. That's just sad. <laughs> and they're not hard words. No. And then the three that we're focusing on get close enough together. And then there's a big fucking flash of light and an image of a young blonde girl telling them, please save Sephiro, Magic Knights. Always. Mm-hmm. Those fucking random glowing figures. Yep. Can't trust a random glowing princess. <laughs> Just saying. Holy fuck. Also, my phone wanted that to be cephalopod so fucking bad. <laughs> Like, no, it's Sephiro. If it was saving Cephalopod, this would have been a very, very different anime. <laughs> so, uh, so you've got these three girls, Hikaru Shido, Umi Ryuzaki, and Fu Huoji. Uh, they're all eighth graders. They're all from different schools, and they're all very different personalities. So Hikaru is, uh, she's very headstrong and tomboyish, and she's short and cute as a goddamn button. She's got red eyes and, like, light red hair because, of course, this is an anime, so... (laughs) And your eyes are going to match your hair. Of course. Um, She's a little naive but sweet, and she wants to go back home to her dog, Hikari. I know, Hikari and Hikaru, and they're, like, best friends and dogs. I feel this girl so much. Mm -hmm. She also had Kendo. She did Kendo. Oh, yeah. Everyone here does some sport that's going to end up being useful later. Good on them. Who does archery? One uh, of them does archery. Foo. Is she the one with the glasses? Yes, she is. I would be fucked. They'd get there and I'd be like, I played soccer in second grade. Are you going to give me a like magical soccer ball? No? I can cool. kickbox. Hmm? That's true. It's okay. I'll protect you. Could you kickbox at 14? No. But but we're, we're not 14 now. Thank fuck. what I do? I didn't. I did nothing at 14. I can't even remember being 14. I read a lot of books. What what grade is 14? I think it's 8th. It is 8th. They are in 8th grade. Yeah, what a terrible fucking time. I was good at math. I was good at being incredibly fucking depressed. (laughs) (laughs) Womp! But that's true. So they'd be like, um... What are you good at? And I'd be like, crying. And they'd be like, here is a magical tear that you can use as your weapon. Awesome. Yeah. I was I was good at math. That's cute. I stopped being good at math somewhere along the way. It happens. No, I'm good at math with numbers. I'm not good at math when you then involve shapes. I don't care about an area of a triangle. What am I going to use that in real life? But I do know that A plus B equals C, and I will find out what C is. PEMDAS. Um, so, next... I wanted to shout PEMDAS my entire life, and it finally came true. Why is this a thing that any person ever would desire? I don't know. Talk about your desires every once in a while. I think I do. 
I'm sure they'll come up. It's fine. So the next one of the three is uh, Umi, and she's the tallest of the three. Uh, when Hikaru sees her in Tokyo Tower, she's like, ooh, she's so elegant and refined and this and that. And she's right on one of those. She is very elegant. She's also a big fucking mess. Which, of course, means I love her. <laughs> um, you the blue hair? Yes. Yeah, she's the only daughter to rich parents, and it shows. Uh, she's a little spoiled. She has a quick temper, and she isn't hugely sympathetic to the plights of others. And, of course, she has, as you said, long blue hair and blue eyes, and she's a fencing champion. They took the right people. They could have taken me. <laughs> Who is good at crying. I'm really great at crying, especially at 14. That was my specialty. And then, so, Fu is the smart one. So she, and she has glasses, and that's how you know. No. Just she's kidding. the green-haired one, right? She's a blonde. Oh. Yeah, she's the only one who's, like, not on fucking theme. Is she sometimes, is she green, though? Is her clothes green? She is green? the green oh, one, though. Like, she has green eyes. She's the one who wears green everything, blah, blah, blah. She's more quiet and reserved than both Umi and Hikaru, which isn't particularly difficult. And she often serves as the voice of reason of the bunch. Aren't you glad none of our friends are the voice of reason? <laughs> How boring would our life be? None of us are. Okay, so so our girls see this big fucking flash on Tokyo Tower and they hear, please save Sephiro Magic Knights. And then they are fucking falling out of the sky in a strange land. Uh, fucking yikes. They're saved by a huge flying fish. But they figure out that they're no longer on Earth anymore because Earth doesn't because have of the flying fish, huge flying fish, <laughs> or like random floating mountains. There aren't any like huge volcanoes near where like there's a lot of landscape that doesn't make any fucking sense. Uh, the giant fish, fish friend. Fish I don't friend. know if they ever name him, but they fish should friend. have. Hikaru probably does because that's the type of person that she. You is. should always name everything. Name everything always. What are we going to name the giant fish? Oh, let's name the giant fish. It wasn't ready. Um, Frenchie. I, I like it. Do you like it? Yeah. Really? Frenchie the fish. Yeah. He's very large. She's very large. It's very large. They are very large. They are very large. Yes. <laughs> That's the way to do it. Okay. So giant fish takes them to... Uh, you didn't call her a name. It's name. Their name. Oh, no. I'm so <laughs> sorry. Frenchie, the giant fish, who we named, who Brittany named, <laughs> takes them to Master Mage Clef, who is this little dude who is the chief of all the sorcerers in Sephiro. And he's like, uh, why is this little kid fucking talking to us like he knows what he's fucking talking You're about? You're 14. And he's like, um, I'm 745 and you're a bitch. <laughs> Which, not exactly, but you know. And you're also 14, so even if the kid was 7, you're still only 14. <laughs> he explains what's up. Uh, the land they're in is called Sephiro. Sephiro is a magical land uh, maintained and influenced by will, most notably the will of the pillar. It was this gorgeous land where everything was in order and blah blah blah. But one day, the high priest Sagato kidnapped and imprisoned their leader, Princess Emerald, the girl from their vision. So Emerald's prayers and belief are what keeps Sephiro stable and safe. But since the princess has been weakened, 
monsters have been around and there's more threats and the land is literally just falling apart. So basically, Saphira needs saving. Big fucking time. And also, the girls can't get home until they save Saphira. Like, that's kind of the rules. So they're like, okay, I guess we'll do the thing because we actually have to do the thing. So they have to restore balance by saving the princess, which will in turn save that world. So Clef asks them if they're proficient in magic, and they're all like, what? No. So he uh, <laughs> bestows magic on them. So Kari you might be able to do a card trick. Yeah. Would you like to see... Ant-Man should be there. Yeah. <laughs> King of magic. <laughs> Fuck your Stephen Strange. <laughs> so uh, Hikaru gets fire magic, Umi gets water, and Fu gets wind. Um, and then they all get attacked, and he sends them off to the forest to meet someone who can make magic weapons for them. And right after this, Zagato turns cleft to stone. So they go to meet Prisea, who is the weapon maker, and it doesn't seem like she's home. So they go in and look around for her, and they actually find Makona, who is like a little stuffed animal rabbit bunny thing with like a red gem on his head. Um, he only says, poo! Alright, so this is like a real magical creature that's not gonna like actually eat them and betray them and stab them in the back. Yes. Yes. I'm scarred. It's fair. Um, I would say that they're- But don't discard me. So, hold that thought. But yeah, he only says poo, he's cute as shit, and he gets to come along with them on their journey. And then they do actually meet Prisea who loans them some weapons so that they can find an ore so that she can make them some special weapons. And I'll give you three guesses about the weapons that they picked. So we have like a sword mm-hmm. and we have an archery bow mm-hmm. and we have a fencing sword. Fencing. <laughs> like, what is the thin one? Rapier. I was doing a motion of fencing for see, all of you exactly who can't what's see. Going on. Yeah. <laughs> Um, a rapier, I guess. Okay. You are 1000% correct. 100%. It's all good. But yeah, exactly. It's about as obvious as their hair and eye color translating to their magic. So, um, so Makona is sent off with them as their guide because he knows where the spring is. This is not on topic of what exactly you're saying, but it's on topic of back when we were like, we'd have no skills to do this. But Japan always has so many better, like, clubs. America doesn't Literally, offer... I didn't say that part, but I was like, uh, if I could have done cool things... If I could have done archery in school, I would have 100% done yeah. archery. But we didn't have we archery did or kendo or yeah, or, or, or fucking... Running the mile yeah, for the like, exactly. fitness club. Like, blah, blah, the, blah. You didn't get to do any of those things till maybe in college. There was a, or if you went and took lessons, it yeah. wasn't offered through your school. There were no fun things. No. It was soccer and like yeah, basketball. tennis, softball, um, yeah, volleyball. Mm-hmm. All things that sound like fucking death. Yeah. What am I going to do? How am I going to use those when I go to fucking Sephiro and have to save them? Exactly. Am I going to fucking so, spike them that all is enough, that, is, that is why these yeah. things happen in Japan, because yeah. they are more fucking ready mm-hmm. for it. They take us and we're fucked. Shitty ass Americans. Yeah. So Makona is sent with them as their guide, as he knows where the spring is. Also, the little gem on his forehead carries shit, like a fucking tent and a bunch of food and a bunch of other shit. Helpful. Yeah. So all I could think was, Luna, it would be really great if you would carry literally anything. Luna, can you just do one thing? 
besides being cute. Uh, so while they're on their way to the spring of Eterna, which is where they're going to get the ore, they meet Ferio, who is a cute young man who saves them from a monster and offers to be their guide. Uh, he tells them he's trying to save Emerald as well because Ferio was an entertainer and Princess Emerald saved his life when guards thought he stole um, something from her in the castle. And she saved him and he wants to save her in return. Um, he gets a big fucking crush on Fu at the end of that episode and he gives her a gift that the princess had already given to him and Umi's all like, ooh, gifts, yay! And then he's like, no, I have a crush on her and then he runs away. Also, Ferio has green hair so maybe that's why they didn't give it to Fu. That was literally my thought. I was like, oh, maybe it's so they didn't look really fucking weird together. So Makono climbs up on a cliff and uh, Hikaru follows and they realize that the spring of Eterna is actually a 2D spring. It looks like a fucking line. Um, so it's weird. So Makona jumps in and then they all follow him, which I feel like is just a mistake. Uh, they end up getting split up and receive visions of home um, while they're within the lake. Things that feel real. But before you jump into the lake, tie yourself together. Yeah, there are so many things that would have been... Why you don't ask 14-year-olds to save your country? For real! Or world land. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's like a... It's not a planet, but it's it's a world. I don't know. There's dimension. It's complicated. If that's what it is. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, they have Emerald's voices there reminding them um, and asking them if they've truly, if they're truly facing their loved ones or if this is some fucking bullshit and they figure it out and level up their magic, basically get some more fucking spells and they get the ore. Uh, they get back to Prisea and she starts using her magic to make them some fucking baller weapons fit for magic knights. Uh, swords for everyone this time. Sorry, Foo. So I'm like, fuck you. I don't want to use this. No, this is dumb. I'm an archer. She's like, I don't want to make you 12,000 arrows, so you're going to have to fucking deal. No, deal that's not that. what happened. <laughs> but make it a magical fucking arrow that just beams back to It me. couldn't just be light. It couldn't just be wind. That would make more sense. <laughs> Shut up. Everything's fine. I'm fine. She makes their weapons for them and, like, makes their armor. All this shit is made with this special metal, so it will evolve with them and, like, level up with them, which is cool. And as the, she's making their weapons, a big monster comes to fight them. The magic knights go off to fight the monster while she finishes the weapon. She finishes the weapon just in time for the monster to send the roof crashing down on her, and she dies um, just after giving them the weapons. That's what you get for not making a fucking bow and arrow, mm. bitch. Who was like, <laughs> I'm not sorry. <laughs> It was like you were just fucking didn't want it. You were just copying, pasting, and you didn't want to make a new design. So I think it all probably form. has. Well, don't give her fucking credit for anything. Later, one of you people are an archer, and you're giving me a fucking sword. It has to do with. I have no way fucking idea how to use a sword. You can't use a bow as a big giant robot. Later, you have to use a sword. It's Why the not? They're magical. You can use it as a big giant this robot. This magic there. has some fucking rules. So, shut <laughs> the fuck up. I hate you so much. <laughs> so, yeah, Chrysia dies. Everybody gets their weapons and their armor. And then they get the fuck out of there. 
Meanwhile, all of this nonsense is happening, and Sephiro is fucking falling apart. Like, pieces of the land are just falling off. There's giant earthquakes and shit. Maybe they choose 14-year-olds, because any adult that you would suck into this, they'd be like, can you save this world? We'd be like, I'm too fucking busy for that. Send me home. I don't care. Yeah, probably. <laughs> I have to somehow survive in the real world. I, I can't do it here. An actual life, and I don't think this is going to pay. <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't care about your world. Figure your own fucking problems out with the people that live here. Can you solve our world's problems? <laughs> if you could do that, I'll solve yours. Trade. <laughs> do you want Trump? I think I can deal with your problems a lot easier than you can deal with ours. <laughs> yes, so shit's falling apart. Clef uh, calls out to the girls from his, like, stone self, I guess, and uh, tells them basically with each earthquake that's happening... It basically means that Sephiro is falling. And if Sephiro falls completely, then they cannot go back to their world. Um, and then he tells them that they have to become magic knights. And then by doing that, they will awaken uh, the rune gods. And Makona knows the way to each of them. So the rune gods are giant fucking like animal gods, but they're also big giant fucking mechs. It's like literally, this is the most 90s mo- nonsense fucking ever. <laughs> Would you like a big giant like wolf? That's also a big giant, giant fucking mech. And also, like you're a cute little like magical girl. Did you ever watch Zoids? I can't remember Zoids. They basically had like mechs that were usually in the shape of an animal that they would like ride and fight in. I feel like maybe, but yeah, it's the most ninety shit ever. They call them the machine, which is basically machine. Yeah, so Umi gets uh, Solace, who is a big fucking dragon. Fu gets Windom, who is a big giant green bird. And Hikaru gets Rayer. Call back to the title. <laughs> who is a wolf with a mane of fire. But yeah, so this shit is happening. And they're like, okay, now we have to go find these things. Meanwhile, Fu saves Ferio again. And they meet some other people on the way. And then the girls reach a lake, and Makona reveals that a rune god rests within it. Uh, they travel underneath the water to a place with air because Makona is a magic little bitch. And Umi starts to not feel good, and then starts to glow and wanders off and sees a painting of a blue dragon. In the meantime, Fu and Hikaru get attacked by a bunch of monsters. While this is going on, the dragon tests Umi about the courage of her heart. Which is uh, she the one with the dragon thing. machine? Yes, mashing, mashing, mashed potatoes. I'm just gonna call it the mashed potatoes. The mashed potatoes. Do the mashed potato. I can do the twist. No, that's fine. It's for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, basically, you're fucking fourteen. Your courage should be kicking everybody's ass and f- fencing and like having blue hair and being cool about it and not I don't know fighting dragons. Fighting dragons. In a fake world. But here we are. Fucking magical girl genre. It's fine. It's gonna end terribly, though, because it's a magical girl genre. You know that shit. <laughs> Unless you're Car Capture Sakura. <laughs> the one. only one that made it out. Yep. Yeah, so uh, Fu and Hikaru are fighting, and um, the monster basically tries to fight against Umi, and this dragon is like, while she's there, it's like, um, well, you can... Go after your friends, but the only way for you to get, like, my power is for you to leave. And she's like, 
yeah, so I'm not gonna fucking leave my friends here. Um, so fuck you, dragon. My friendship is more important than whatever fucking power nonsense, and I think this is some nonsense and some bullshit. My friends just got injured because of this shit. How He's long lying. have they, but how long have they been here? Um, probably been a couple weeks. Okay. I was like, is this some Love Island shit where they're like, I've known you for five days and you're my bestest friend ever. To be fair, I feel like, I A, that's acceptable at 14. Oh, you're right. I and B, sometimes. that's acceptable when you're in a very high stress situation where you might die all the time. Uh, she's like, I'm not leaving my fucking injured friends behind. They've been behind me the entire time. We are, you know, bros for life. And then the dragon's like, well, you hit the nail on the head. You uh, got all the shit. You figured out my riddle. I don't know. Some fucking nonsense. Turns into a robot, defeats the monster, um, and he reveals that Umi showed true courage in uh, saving her friends instead of, you know, which obviously, duh. But they're not true magic knights yet, so she couldn't wear him. Uh, He goes into an orb on her glove, which is part of her, like, armor and everybody's armor gets leveled up yay yay um, my favorite in video games is when even if you don't fight with the characters all of them get mm-hmm. oh my god when pokemon did the like everyone gains experience yeah, at the that, same like, time yeah that's a that, fucking game yes, changer it's a game changer mm-hmm so yeah, more typical adventure shit. They and then they find out randomly, fourteen episodes in, that Makona can project a map of Sapiro. It's fine. That would have been really fucking <laughs> that might useful. Have been helpful ten minutes ago, but it's, but it's, it's fine. It's fine. So the next rude god that they're going for is in the skies, which is sick. They head up to the sky shrine on a floating mountain, and I couldn't find how they did it, so I don't fucking know. It happened. Anyhow, they get up there, and they meet up with our boy Ferio during a storm. And on his way to meet with them, he finds a girl who needs help, and he ends up carrying her with him. And Fu is awkward about this because she is a 14-year-old girl, and saving someone is romance in weird fantasy worlds. I don't know. Is he as useless as as Tuxedo Mask? No. He's he's relatively useful. He's he like she rescues him a lot, but like also he he can hold his own. He also is important later. So Fu's awkward about this other girl, everything's fine, blah blah blah. She's not wrong though, she is right to be suspicious because it turns out this bitch actually poisons Ferio. They just think he's sick, though, so they go up the mountain and they leave Ferio with her um, so that she can take care of him, which... Don't do it! Yeah, it was a mistake. Fu is given a similar test by her rune god, which is a big green fort named Windham. She does the right thing to save her friends. He says yay and sends all the big bads flying back to Zagato. Everyone is saved, but Ferio feels guilty that this was all his fault because he's a boy and dumb. And is like, I'll save you from me. Forget about me. Drama. And I'm sure Fu is like, um, I'm the fucking magic knight, you goddamn nerd. But yeah, it, and it's like, if, Fario, if anybody needs to be saved, it's fucking you. So if you can stop being a baby, that would be great. Uh, he goes off to pout and he comes back later. It's fine. So Makona leads the girls into a volcano where the last rune god is. Again, one of them 
Hikaru, who is the only one who doesn't have a moon god yet, starts acting weird and glowing and shit. And then she randomly, like, disappears right in front of their eyes. Uh, she wakes up in a room of fire, and then a wolf appears made out of flames, and he identifies himself as Ray Earth, and by now you know where we're going. Courage of heart, blah, blah, blah. Uh, if you guys had told us what this was going to end up being, we could have failed it early. But, oh well, here we are. Um, while this is all happening, Zagato, our good friend, manages to get inside the, the volcano. He follows um, where they've just gone in. He somehow manages to take Fu and uh, Umi's powers just in time for Hikaru to get back. Uh, they talk for a moment, and then he takes her powers as well. And then uh, he shoots a fireball towards Umi and Fu. Hikaru gets in the way and he shoots another one that's going to be lethal. And then there's a random like spout of flame around her and Ray Earth is there and he's like, you passed the test. Yay. And then he attacks Zagato and Zagato retreats. So this is the third time around where they already know self-sacrifice is the key to getting their thing. More or less. So basically the only one that was challenged was the first girl. Mm Mm-hmm. Umi figured it out and then was like, just so you know, I'm passing you my notes for the next test, since we're all going to have to take the same fucking one. Okay. Yes. Just making sure. Mm-hmm. It's just everybody gets to have their own personal quest. It's fine. Wait, the outcome is always the same as long as you do the same. Don't abandon us and you'll get this giant mecha robot. In all fairness, this was an anime in the fucking 90s. So basically all they did was repeat the same fucking frames all the time. That was the whole 90s. 100% (laughs) correct. So yay. Ray Earth attacks Zagato, Zagato retreats, and then everybody gets their magic back because Ray Earth restores everything. Yay, we're so fucking close, and everything's going to be all right. We're going to beat the bad guy, we're going to save the people who we've grown to care for, and we're going to get home. The girls start to head towards the flying mountain in the sky, along with their rune gods. So we've got Celes, Windom, and Ray Earth. They then receive a brain message from Princess Emerald telling them to grant her wish and save Sephiro. Shut up. Martha did this weird fingers to brain motion when she said brain A telekinesis message. That I had to laugh at. <laughs> it's, it's fair. But yeah, so they, they reach the flying mountain and only to find that Zagato has his own fucking rune god and he's blocking their way from them getting any further. So they at first demand that he releases the Why princess. Why does he have a rune god? Who the fuck is he? He has a rune god because basically it's from power of will and he's one of the most like willful people. As fucking yeah. misogynistic bitches are. But yeah, so they're like, you have to release the princess. He refuses, and then he claims that he's going to kill them all. Uh, They fight, and, you know, typical anime fight, blah, blah, blah. Um, It looks like they're all going to fail, and then they combine all of their powers, and everybody fires. They don't fuse, but they do all fire at the same time, and, like, combine. Yeah, I know, that would have been way more fun. I want some Power Ranger shit going on. That would have been their mechas fuse into a giant robot. Maybe they do fuse. I don't think so but it doesn't really matter anyhow they fire this like spell that they've all worked together on at Zagato and it kills him meanwhile in her prison princess emerald starts to <laughs> fucking shriek and scream in horror oh, no, that's not as she realizes that Zagato has died 
And here it is. This is the fucking bait and switch. This has all been a really cute and fun, like, little adventure through now with new friends and you're defeating monsters and getting better and everybody's leveling up. Turned into magical girl. And now that we've done the thing, everything is fucked. So, and one of the quotes from one of the creators from Clamp was, Rayers intentionally traces out an RPG world, but I don't consider it an RPG world myself. You can tell it's not a simple world, the kind where there's a princess, a villain who kidnaps her, the main character who saves the day and lives happily ever after. Even if the main characters thought that's the world they got into. So let's back up for a second. Sephiro has this thing called the pillar system. I mentioned it earlier. Princess Emerald is the pillar of Sephiro, so she's the one who kind of holds it all together. She keeps it safe and stable with her prayers. She prays for peace and prosperity and protection. And her will is what makes and keeps Sephiro in one piece. So the pillar of Sephiro is somebody who has to constantly, like, basically use all of their time and effort and... That's awful. Yes. It's it's horrifying. All of it relies on one person. That person's will has to completely be for Sephiro, and if it wavers at all, things are going to go to fucking shit. You should find another system. Yes. That's what the second season is about. Oh, okay. But that's okay. <laughs> but yeah, so it, it's horrible. It's a, like... You're given these godlike powers, but also you're not. You're only given human amounts of control, and if you fuck up, you fuck up for everybody. It's it's terrible. Yeah, that sounds awful. Cool. So uh, the girls head into the inner sanctum to uh, find the princess, and they go in there, and there's a woman who looks like Princess Emerald, but she's an adult, and she's standing there. And after they mention Zagato's name, she goes fucking bonkers berserk crazy she creates her own rune god like out of her own just power because she's stupid amounts of power and she starts to attack them and they fly out of the castle and they're like what the fuck we we did what you asked we saved the princess what the fuck is happening and um once outside they get in a battle with the rune gods and they learn the truth from princess emerald because she is actually the person who is attacking them basically in the anime um a couple things it's revealed that she'd used her power as the pillar previously to prevent her younger brother, Ferio, our dear friend Ferio, from being punished for stealing something that wasn't his. And then she also erased her from his mind so that he wouldn't have to deal with the knowledge that his sister is just stuck praying at all times. Also, that's why he would have made more sense to be blonde. <laughs> <laughs> so she does that and then she in turn forgets him um, so that she can focus her thoughts and prayers on only Sephiro, which worked for a time and then she meets Zagato so Zagato was Princess Emerald's high priest Clef's right hand man and he he fell in love with Emerald and despite her best efforts to put Sephiro first and only she also fell in love with him and because of this she can't focus all of her energy and thoughts on being the pillar and her mind wanders and Sephiro falters and begins to fall, which is a terrible fucking design. Who thought putting all of that on one person would be a good idea? This is horrible. Yeah, don't this ever poor do that. baby. Yeah. It's, it's tragic and gross. Um, so she feels horrible and guilty over this. And the more his love for her grows, the more his hate for the pillar system grows. So when Emerald goes missing, Zagato comes forward as having kidnapped her. 
In reality, she was so upset by her lack of will that she imprisoned herself in a dungeon that looks like a peony made out of water because anime, hoping that if she keeps herself away from him, she'll be able to focus on only Sephiro, which doesn't super work. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so she, she summons the magic knights, and as they're fighting this adult, mad, broken version of her in a mech, the version that has completely forgotten that she was the one who asked for help, the real her kind of cuts through to relay that she realized she couldn't stop herself from feeling this, and she couldn't, like, even imprisoning herself away, didn't do that, and that it would be better if she died than if she tried to rule Sephira with a heart tainted with grief and regret. Basically, the rules of Sephiro are no one in Sephiro is allowed to kill the pillar, and the pillar cannot will itself to die. So the girls from another world, the Magic Knights, basically their purpose is to come and kill the pillar, because it's the only way that the pillar can abandon their duty. They resist at first, because what the fuck? What the ever-loving fuck? This is fucking terrible. So if if the pillar does die, do they just... Another pillar happens? Yes. Technically. That's basically the second half of Magic Knight Rare. I really want to watch the like second chunk of the anime because I never watched it, and I had a huge crush on everybody who was in the manga because it's all well. And it was it was one I rewatched the first chunk of it semi recently within the last ten years semi recently. (laughs) Yeah, not not recently, but recently enough that I was like, oh, I forgot that this is tragic, and I forgot that it was going to punch me literally in the fucking heart. But yeah, so they resist at first because it's horrible, and then they tearfully give in after Emerod begs them to send her where she may only think of Zagato and actually be with him. And then using the last of her power, she sends them back to the exact moment they disappeared from Tokyo Tower, and the last image they see of her is her adult form, but not crazy, in the arms of Zagato, smiling and thanking them. Cool. So you uh, gonna pay for my therapy? <laughs> Not nah, just gonna send me home with the shit I can't talk about because uh, everybody's gonna think I'm crazy. Exactly. Also, uh, asking a fourteen-year-old to make a huge world-ending decision will always fuck them up. Why would you do this? Uh, Hikaru's friend tries to ask Hikaru what she thought about the light, and she turns to her and. To her surprise, Hikaru and Umi and Fu are all hugging and fucking crying and shit like that. Um, and obviously they are incredibly unhappy that they've had to kill Princess Emerald. And Hikaru tells them um, it was not a dream and that she wants to go back and set things right. And that's where basically the first half of everything fucking ends. There's more later where they do more or less set things right. But this is a long episode already, so we're not going to do that. But yeah, there's already a lot of shit to unpack here because you've got this beautiful world that's built on dreams and then you look closely and you're like, oh, actually, it's it's a terrible burden to put on one person. And then even if you put it on one person, like it's going to radiate out to the knights, to Zagato, to Clef, to the whole fucking world. Like it makes everything poisoned. Yeah, it's basically them saying, hey, yeah, the magical girl genre is actually inherently tragic. You are asking these 12 to 14 year old girls to make life-changing decisions, just not just for themselves, but for like their worlds or other worlds in a time where they're not at all equipped to answer that call or question, or most basic calls or questions. Like, being a 14-year-old girl is the literal fucking worst. Mm-hmm. And they're like, hey, would you like to make decisions that will ruin the rest of your life? No, not really, actually. Hard yeah, you usually cycle through uh, to like a happy ending, but once you've defeated one baddie, 
evil doesn't fucking rest and you made a promise to save the world and if you won't do it, then who fucking will? Magic Knight Rare takes this and they make it super fucking obvious. You don't have a choice about saving the world because it's your only way back to your world. But also you're not given all of the information you need in order to make a decision. It's a trap from the start. And Emrod knows it's a fucking trap and it's a tragic one when she calls for them. But she's also trapped in a system where the only way she sees out is death. Still, she looks like a little girl, but she's not. She's a fucking adult, and she puts the onus of her death on children instead of talking to people and figuring out how to end the pillar system. So, some fucking bullshit. The manga closes with uh, Hikaru screaming, it can't end like this. And yet, it does end like this. The fact is the outcome is traumatic not for just them, but for the reader as well. Like, you read it and you're like, this is, this is where you're going to fucking end things? And by upsetting the reader, uh, Clamp also upsets the narrative cycle in which the character tropes and story patterns are endlessly recycled. That's a fucking quote, BG dubs. Basically, they throw you for a fucking loop, and that makes you realize how poisonous and gross the whole idea of magical girls actually is, and that that shit is always tragic, just sometimes waits and creeps in later. Since this is a big fucking downer to end on, here's another dumb fact. Most of the names in Magic Knight Rare have to do with cars. Um, That's really random. Yeah, so we have the Mitsubishi Emerald. Zagato is an Italian automotive design studio. We've got the Nissan Paseya, Honda Civic Ferio, and the Mazda Clef. It's many uh, fucking things that Clamp has done. Honestly, <laughs> we're like, we need to, how are we going to name these people? Let's pick something and go with it. I love it so fucking much. They're like, well, this is fun. <laughs> this is the theme we're going for. Gotta love those fucking fantasy <laughs> names. You can do whatever the fuck Ever you want. Whatever the fuck you want. Go fucking bonkers. Sure. So yeah, that is the first chunk of Magic Knight Rares. It does get slightly less tragic later when they Magical go to fix things. But yeah, it's it feels like the card capture Sakura version until you get to like the last two yeah, fucking episodes. And then you're like, oh, actually you're going to tear out my heart yeah. and then spit on it too. Card capture Sakura is the only mm-hmm. fucking non tragic. Non tragic magical girl. Yeah. Basically if you're putting fourteen year olds in charge of everyone's destiny, you're condemning them to tragedy. It's, it's the only way to do it. Yeah. But also, it's really good storytelling. And it is my jam. All right. Yeah. Kind of a bummer of an episode. I was going to say, I tried to make it not the bummer at the end. (laughs) If you guys watch the next chunk of Magic Knight Rare. Not so much of a bummer. Things do get better. Just watch some Cardcaptor Sakura. That's really cute and sweet. Don't watch Madoka. Don't. Okay. And on that note. This is episode 19. Thanks for listening, everyone. Please make sure if you listen on Apple Podcasts, you go, you rate, you review, subscribe. If you listen on Spotify, you can also find us there. Also subscribe there. We're on Podbean. We're on the ESO network. Check out all the other podcasts that are on there as well. Uh, of course, you can find us on Instagram at but first let's talk nerdy. Send us an email, but first, let's talk nerdy at yahoo.com. Still want to talk about defending Jacob with people. 
<laughs> talk to her about defending Jacob. Talk to me about... Don't talk to her about anything because she doesn't fucking read the email. It doesn't matter. Send, <laughs> send me an email. I really want an email. <laughs> um, but otherwise, everyone, please stay safe. Wash your hands. Wear your masks. Please. Don't be stupid. Don't be dumb. I want to go home for Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, we'll see See you next Tuesday. Tuesday. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.